You like the Just Baseball show and want to make your own? Let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never seen before. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and much more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. this the last friday episode of september it's the 24th let me open up the calendar you open intro up the, the calendar pod. yeah well you intro the pod this is the just baseball show i'm peter apple that's jack mcmullen it's a friday we have a lot to talk about we're talking about the fact that the cardinals are back into it we have a full interview with pitching ninja where we talk about the al cy young the nl cy young his career how he came to be phenomenal interview and then we have all of our win-loss totals. Earlier, when we were the Project the Plate podcast, we did our over-under win totals. Like, let's say someone was at 81 wins and a half, 81 and a half wins. We bet over or under. Yeah. That was at the beginning of the season. Now we got to look back on those, see how we did. But both of us did look back, and we didn't do necessarily all that well. Yeah, how could I forget my nursery rhyme? 30 days have September, April, June, and November. September is the first month that we say. So with this coming out on the 24th, that means next Thursday is the 30th. The next Friday episode that comes out is October 1st. That's going to be a fire episode. We're getting into October. There's 10, 12 games left. It's October. Not yet, but it's almost. The season has gone by so quickly, hasn't it? Yeah, and uh, I think this is the most fun I've ever had during any baseball season because we're no in it doubt. every day. We're in it every single day, making MOE best bets every single day, making TikToks, twitching, writing on the website, justbaseball.com. We're top 100 prospects. It's been a full, full season. Listen, I want to get something out there. I am your betting advisor here. You run every pick by me every day. Mostly. I yes. mean, this is, he asks for multiple opinions on bets. You get just baseball's best bets of the day. And Peter yes. is the poster boy. Does Absolutely. he make a final call? Yes. He's got access to the nuclear codes, <laughs> but he runs the nuclear codes by everybody and then switches a digit before firing off the missile. So that's that. Uh, before we get into Rob Friedman, who I'm so excited to listen to you and Aram talk to, the Cardinals are freaking unbelievable Cardinals. And as we're talking, they're playing the Brewers right now and currently losing, but they were just on an 11 game win streak. And we even got a comment. Is this one of the top five playoff surges that you've seen in a long time? Yes. Because 
because, well, yes, but because the Cardinals playoff odds, and this is a tweet from ESPN stats and info, the Cardinals playoff odds bottomed out at 1.3% on August 8th. That wasn't that long ago. Entering their 11 game win streak. They were just 5% two and a half weeks ago. And now they have a 91% chance of making the wild card, the last wild card to face the Dodgers and the largest swing in playoff chances since the all-star break. The Cardinals made a 91% swing from the all-star break and the Padres had a negative 91% swing during that same period. The the Padres are six games back as we record of that second wild card spot. The Cardinals have a four and a half game cushion over the Reds and the Phillies. That's incredible. incredible. Nobody was expecting the Cardinals to be here. Everybody was expecting, and we'll get into this a little bit, a little later on in the pod. Everybody was expecting the Cardinals to just come away with the NL Central. That's for sure. And That's then what we the- said. Right. And then after the first month and a half of the season, we were like, oh, this Cardinals team doesn't look like it's going to make the playoffs. And now they could win a wild card game in L.A. and nobody would bat an eye. I don't want to bet against Adam Wainwright right now. No. The four ERA under three. He has been nothing short of phenomenal this year. And he is better at home. He's better in St. Louis. So he might have a little bit of a tough start on the road. But you know Adam Wainwright wants it. I would not bet against the Cardinals in a winner-take-all scenario. I just wouldn't. Guy's a freak of nature. And two weeks ago, I couldn't have looked you in the eye and said, the AL wildcard race is going to be better than the NL wildcard race. Mm-hmm. But that's where we're at now. The AL wildcard race is very tight, and the Cardinals are getting that stranglehold on the second wildcard spot in the National League. And it's funny, we look back at all of our win over under win totals and maybe a couple of weeks ago, they were looking bad. Now they're looking better. Some were looking great and now they're right. looking terrible. So it'll be interesting to look back on those because the season's not over yet. So a couple have a little bit to go, but it's the way it is. We'll get into those in about 20 minutes. But now here's Peter and Aram with Rob Friedman, a.k.a. Pitching Ninja. It's Tuesday, September 21st, and we have a special guest. The day after Shane Baz Day, I thought there was nobody better uh, to bring on than Rob Friedman, the pitching ninja himself. Rob, thanks for taking the time to come on, and uh, how did you celebrate your uh, Shane Baz Day yesterday? Um, with a bunch of gifts, I guess. I mean, he's he's nasty. Like I've been following him for a while, and uh, I, like, did he delete his Twitter account? Do you know? I think he did. I didn't question. think he did. Um, Probably a good idea. We used to, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good idea for pretty much everybody. Uh, but we used to DM a little bit too. So he's a he's a great dude, and it's so much fun to watch him up in the uh, in the show. He was ridiculous last night. I, I don't know. I don't know if you saw all of it. I'm sure you did. I feel like you don't miss a pitch somehow ever uh, across the entire league. Uh, but anytime I see a nasty pitch, and I'm like. I'm going to go and see if Fitching Ninja caught that. It's, it's already up. Uh, but his his slider last night was otherworldly. And, and I know that the pitchers that are, you know, a new pitcher has a little bit of an advantage of anonymity when you have, you know, to face some big league hitters. 
But the way he made Vladdy look, if you make Vladdy look uncomfortable, I don't care if he's never seen you before. Uh, that, that's that's pretty impressive. And he made Vladdy look pretty uncomfortable in multiple at-bats. Yeah, I remember the first at-bat. Was it like two sliders and then an elevated 99-mile-an-hour fastball? So, yeah, he looked – I mean, and he missed the sliders by like a foot. Yeah. So they were nasty. My thing with Shane Baz is it's so effortless. Like When we were at the Futures game, um, he came in. I think he threw only 10 pitches. His just his mannerisms walking around the mound. Do you ever, obviously, you do the pitching overlays and you're looking at stuff, but does that stick with you? Because that just sticks with me, Shane Baz's mannerisms, as if he doesn't care, but it almost looks like it's just straight up better. It's like he's yeah. yawning when he pitches. Yeah, he's yawning. He, he, yeah, I mean, it's fun to watch that. I know from experience that the pitchers that don't look like they're trying hard really are trying hard. It's just like everything happens to sync up really well, but they do have effort, even though they don't look like they have a lot of effort in their pitch. The, you know, Gratterall is the one who jumps out at everybody every time he throws. He looks like he's, yeah, like he can do that in a chair and just like do this and, <laughs> and uh, it'll go 100 miles an hour. I mean, I'd hate to catch, play catch with that dude. No, especially with the movement that it has, it just it seems turbo like a sinker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it's I don't a- know how anyone hits him. Really, I, it's it's amazing. It's he just needs a little bit more of I think a separation between velos. What's what's your take on that? Because Gratterall also obviously has all the stuff. Yeah, what ends up happening are sinker ball pitchers get at least people put the ball in play a decent amount. Dustin May went through that same issue. Um, Blake Trinan actually recently reduced his reliance on a sinker and, and started throwing a little bit more of a four seamer um, and then added some break on his, on his slider, but they're, they're, they're almost meant to be put in play. And even at a hundred, they do get put in play, which is insane, but they look better. Like if you watch a, a, a two seamer at a hundred miles an hour, it's like devil's work. So it's so yeah. much fun to watch, but they are they the most effective pitches? Well, it depends what you want to do and depends how you, how you match it up. Um, they can be, but yeah, they look great. I, I agree with that because that was the one thing I know you're a big Sixto Sanchez guy. And that was, that was how we first uh, connected. I, I tweeted at you about Sixto and you sent me a message right away. Like I'll talk about Sixto anytime. And I was so excited. I was like, here we go. Awesome. And uh, I mean, the, his stuff is ridiculous, but I think he struggled a little bit to figure out how he was going to have that proper overlay, right? A four-seamer up in the zone seemed to be better for him at times working off of that changeup because the changeup and sinker can be a bit redundant, especially when you only have five, six miles per hour of separation. So that's what I'm really excited to see with Sixto when he comes back hopefully healthy is how can you have those different effectiveness uh, with pitches in different quadrants of the zone, I think is a, is a really important thing. And uh, it's interesting that you say that because you see the sinker, at 99 and you're like that's got to be the best pitch ever but a four seamer high spin off of a good breaking ball or off of a good changeup i think that's really could be the best pitch in baseball besides a good changeup yeah they do tend to be um i miss six though like i would love hmm. to see i mean he was he's so much fun to watch pitch just because of his emotion and stuff too uh, but you have someone like so jordan hicks for example i mean jordan yeah. hicks yeah. yeah, when you're throwing 103 to 105 and it's a two seamer and they're still putting it in play and everyone's like, well, why aren't why aren't the strikeout numbers? Why isn't he striking out 15 per nine or 16 per nine? And a lot of it has to do with that. Now, at lower levels, you're taught, hey, you know, let the hitter do the work for you. Let him put it in play, weak contact, all that. Like, shoot, little league coaches around the world are great at, you know, let him hit the ball, all that stuff, that mentality. 
and it's hard to shake sometimes. Um, so yeah, like I think some of them migrating or at least mixing in a four seamer. So you're not sitting on a two seamer and just looking at one spot low in the zone and trying to make contact exactly. is, is usually the kind of the way to go. That being said, they make the best pitch gifts. Like when you <laughs> yeah. see a ball moving, like Castillo had one, a 99 mile an hour backdoor two seamer, and then had a hundred mile an hour painted one earlier in the season. That was just like right in the corner of the quadrant those are like my favorite like those are just awesome to watch and uh just a ton of fun so the a pitch gift that just kind of burns in the back of my head um that you posted a ton of times emmanuel class says 100 to 103 mile an hour cutter i still can't really fathom how it's even possible how it can still cut at 103 you've watched him all year where did the pitch even come from like how does emmanuel class a get that much spin and that much velocity on a cutter. So my guess, and I don't know that I, I think I've probably read some stuff on it that maybe this is a true guess, but he doesn't really intentionally cut it. Like it was just the way he was throwing it. Like Glasnow occasionally would do that. Glasnow has these weird misshapen fingers that are really big. And sometimes he would just not get quite behind the ball and still be throwing 99 mile an hour cutters. Um, So he kind of doesn't, particularly do it on purpose but the effect is definitely a cutter like the ball is a cutter (laughs) cut as a result yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. so yeah so whether he does it on purpose or not i know he can straighten it out a little bit and get a little bit more run Um, so he yeah so he has been able to figure it out but some of the best cutters um in history you hear like mariano talk about his cutter saying i just picked up the ball one day and it started cutting kenley jansen said the same thing like it was like God given is the way they put it, yeah. but they don't do it on purpose. They're just throwing it and they just weren't behind the ball. And then they realize later, Hey, I can manipulate it and I can mm-hmm. do a little bit more, but at first it's just a weird, you know, you picked it up and it just happened to cut. And I thought this Cleveland bullpen has been just so fascinating this year, because not only do you have Emmanuel class a, but you also had James Karinchak, who we ranked as a top five reliever going into the season. And then he was fantastic. Sticky substance crackdown hit. And now he's been up and down from the minors. I'm not going to go full tilt and say it was solely because of that. But how do you timelines match up struggles? Yeah, Yeah, I I don't know. I don't want to I don't want to blame him fully. Right. But I'm curious to what your opinion is on James Karinchak kind of falling off in the second half. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it does match up really well with that. And there were videos of him like. I mean, by God, almost everybody was using that stuff because if you weren't, you were stupid not to use it. Like exactly. at, at the point where MLB is saying they're not going to enforce it. And his, the history of baseball shows that people, Nolan Ryan admitted to doing it. He said, yeah, if I can use pine tar to help my curveball, it's one of those unwritten rules that, yeah, you can do it. Is spider tech that much worse than pine tar? Not really. No, it isn't. Like it, there's a point where something gets so sticky, it's not coming off your hands. Yep. So it's not like the increased stick is infinite. You know, it's not like infinitely better than not increased than yep. just a little yeah. bit. So I think, um, you know, pitchers have found ways around it. You'll see a lot of pitchers now kind of going to their head to get some sweat which mixed with rosin. Yeah. So, or just on the back of their net, whatever it is, like there's not sticky stuff in there, but if you take sweat and mix it with rosin, it does create some kind of tack. Max Scherzer did that his first outing post 
um, the crackdown. You'll see, you'll just notice, I, I mean, a lot of pitchers do it. There's nothing wrong with it because that's sweat can't be outlawed because that <laughs> or sunscreen that you gotta be protected yeah. from the sun. <laughs> yeah. Now the sunscreen stuff with like, I absolutely understand it. Like I, I, I've had that happen where I've had carried around a rosin bag as a pitching coach and had a sun had sunscreen in there and the sunscreen, you know, something hit it and it went off in the bag and then it mixed with the rosin and it just ruined the entire, everything was like, absolutely as sticky as can be so that stuff is very very sticky um but yeah i mean it very well could be that karen check was doing it just needs to adjust and he will um he's a very very high-end talent that has pitches that come out of a spot that not a lot of people are used to seeing it and has a ridiculous curveball that comes out of that so uh he'll be back and that cleveland staff is insane like the, the their ability to mint pitchers constantly and they have more like they have guys in their minor league system that, that, you know, haven't been up obviously, but you, you have guys like, I remember Ethan Hankins back in the day in Georgia. Um, Zay Curry is a Georgia tech guy who pitched with yep. my son. So he's a, he's a stud. Yeah. Um, yeah. They have an Espino who's a, uh, another Georgia guy who's got high end stuff, 102 mile an hour fastball in, in, in high school, he was throwing a hundred. So yeah, they have an endless stream of pitchers that are going to throw at you year after year, and they can trade away talent to get new talent. They're so, so we just we just so put good. yeah we just put Curry on our top one hundred list at number one hundred, uh, and I think we were the first. I I want to I want to just come out there and say that because mm-hmm. I the only reason I'm saying that is because I think a lot of other people are going to come around to that as well. The curveball is unreal, and by by the way, Curry pitched at Georgia Tech. But he was a two-way guy in high school because I actually played him in summer ball, and his his summer team was was not fair. The East Cobb Astros, it was Will Banfield, it was Braxton Garrett, it was Will Benson, it was all of these dudes. Uh, we hung in there. I think we lost four uh, two. Braxton Garrett caved me real bad on a three <laughs> on the inside corner. Um, but I mean, I just remember being so impressed with with that team top to bottom. But following some of them afterwards, uh, just because I was like, these guys are going places. And Curry has just been amazing. Uh, just seeing how quickly he's just been able to progress. Uh, and with that breaking ball too. He's one of those guys that will be a fan favorite. So my son played for the Astros just after that. Oh, and no way. So I just Yankees done. too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then played with Zay at, at, at tech. Oh, Zay awesome. is a great, great dude. Like he is very high energy. He was a fan favorite at, at tech just because of the way he pitches and how good a kid he is. And, his emotion. Like he is one of those guys, he's electric and his curveball is great being a shorter statured pitcher. Um, it plays really well. So that's the thing that you're realizing now is that you don't have to be monstrously tall to be effective. If you're shorter and you can have that fastball ride and then a curveball that comes out of it, that's a nasty combo and he's going to be good. I love that you included him on your list. <laughs> and you mentioned your son, Jack. And so he's pitching at Georgia tech right now. So what's the scouting report on him? I, I know he's a top-ranked pitcher in Georgia. He's in perfect game. I was looking at his profile. He looks like a pretty good young pitcher. Yeah, he's hurt, unfortunately. He's been hurt the last couple of years. He hurt his shoulder. So he's actually working more with the pitchers of this on the staff than, than pitching. Um, but they have a lot of talent. Like Tech has had a lot of talent over the years. Um, you know, they had their share. Like Brent Herter last year was a stud but got hurt. Um, he, he had uh, – Tommy John and he came back last year, but he was one of those guys that I thought was a first round pick talent wise previous years. Um, 
but he has he has really good stuff. And their pitching coach, Danny Burrell, is outstanding. So they're going to keep getting more and more talent. Like college pitching is, I think people need to keep their eye on that game more. Like college baseball is probably my favorite type of baseball because the players are great, but they don't have those egos yet. Like yep. they'll cut and, uh, and there's some purity to it. There's, there there's, is. Yeah. You know, so I know that you have you have uh, had Jack and Al Leiter on and, and they're family friends of mine going back to South Florida. And uh, my parents had, had known the Leiters for a long time. So I, I saw Jack go from undersized, you know, nine, 10 year old uh, that wasn't even sure if he was going to pitch to turning into what he is now. Uh, what I love that Al said about college baseball and then why he was so keen on on Jack playing was that uh, there's a level of just give a shit in uh, college baseball that makes it so fun. And when we went to the college world series, we really saw that. And uh, you, you can really see it with these young kids. Uh, and not to say that that goes away in the big leagues, but when you're on a 162 game fold, it's just, it's just different. And I love watching the, the passion in college. Oh, a- absolutely. Like I, uh, I went up to Brandon Woodruff at the all-star game and we started talking to him about, about Mississippi state. Yeah. And uh, like, he said that was like the biggest moment period. They hadn't won anything and watching that team win was almost as good as like winning it yourself. Wow. Um, so yeah, the fan base is great. Like SEC's fan bases overall are just outstanding, uh, but they're ACC too. And the talent level is, is fantastic. And the kids care. Every game matters. It's, you know, I'm not saying the pro, pro guys care too. And I love watching of course, baseball. But I think there's something about the fan base connection with college teams um, that is just huge. And it was so much fun watching that Mississippi State team this year. Yeah. And there's a level also with some of these college guys is not all most of them aren't going to continue to play. Right. Where in the major leagues, you're you're there. And worst case scenario, you're still going to play a few more years in the minors. Like there's not really an expiration date, a set expiration date on your baseball career in college that last game is your last game. So a lot of these guys, they're seniors, they're playing for another game and playing for another opportunity to play. And, and I think that's what makes it special. You mentioned Brandon Woodruff though. Um, and real quick, before we wrap up with you here, we had to ask you about the, the Cy Young races on both ends here, because DeGrom, unfortunately going down, uh, he would have ran away with it, of course. And um, that sucks. The, the, the one, I guess, silver lining is that we have a very intriguing race now where there's probably three, four different pitchers that you could side with in the NL. The AL is also wide open as well. Let's start with the NL since you mentioned Woodruff. He's not quite in there, but his teammate Corbin Burns is looking like one of the favorites. I think Burns is, is probably going to run away with it, but he also had one of his subjectively rough outings last outing and Scherzer looks great too. And now all of a sudden there's an interesting story brewing there with how dominant he's been with the Dodgers. What's your NL Cy Young outlook right now? Uh, and what's your take on the whole thing? Yeah, I've been, uh, I flip-flopped a number of times. Like I'd sit there and watch a game and go, Oh, well, he's definitely gonna win the Cy Young. It was Bueller and then Burns. Mm-hmm. Now it is Scherzer. I think Scherzer will win it. Um, Scherzer's overall stats, leading in whip, leading in ERA in the major leagues. I know the advanced stats show Burns being a stud, and Burns is a stud. Burns is one of my favorite pitchers to watch in baseball, almost because you have to understand pitching to really enjoy him, I think. Like the backdoor cutter he throws, 
um, at, you know, up to 99 miles an hour and just, it sits off the plate and this comes back. It's, it's one of those things as a pitching guy that I think is like art. So Scherzer is more of a blunt force and a force of nature. Um, Corbin Burns is just an artist on the bump, but I think it's Scherzer's to lose right now. His stats are just too good. His, his outings with the Dodgers have been too good. Um, and as his, you know, there's partly, there is going to be a Scherzer bias too. He's won but three Cy Youngs having a fourth puts him in the pantheon of great pitchers. And he deserves to be in the pantheon of great pitchers because he is one of the great pitchers in baseball. So that's who I think like voting right now, I think it's Scherzer, but you can make a, a very strong case for, for Burns, obviously historically low FIP and stuff like that. In a Hard tough park. In, in a, a tough, tough park. park. Yeah. I agree. That's great. And I agree. I think Scherzer is a first ballot Hall of Famer. I do. We talked about it on yesterday's episode because we made all of our preseason picks. And I actually had Corbin Burns at plus 4,000 at the beginning of the season. I'm no genius, though. I also had Blake Snell. So, you know, you take the wins and the losses. But Snell was going to be great, too. I thought he was going to be awesome. So I would also give it to Scherzer. He has an ERA under one with the Dodgers. He hasn't lost. He's seven and zero in nine starts with the Dodgers. He's been unbelievable. I do hope Burns wins it, but regardless, moving on to the yeah, go ahead. No, I was gonna say I love Corbin Burns. Like, I, I it hurts me to to predict. Like, I but I love Scherzer too. Like, they're yeah. just very <laughs> there's no wrong, there's answer, no wrong answer, right? Yeah, like like to me, I totally agree with you. Like, as far as having a guy, like I thought Burns last year was outstanding, and for he was one of my guys that I wanted to watch pitch this year, and he's done nothing to disappoint anybody. So I I totally agree with your outlook on that, and, and I do think it's Scherzer's to lose right now. Did you have a preseason pick at the beginning of the year? Yeah, I, I'm trying to think in NL who I would have picked. Um, well, no, obviously I know who I would have picked. It's Jacob DeGrom I would have picked, yeah. and he should have won it. <laughs> yeah. like, uh, I think a collective baseball community, we all had Jacob DeGrom. We'd have to and, be it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And moving on to the AL, too, because similar to the NL, I feel like it's kind of anybody's to lose at this point. Before yesterday, Robbie Ray, it looked like it was his to lose. But then he gave up three runs and four and two-thirds to the Rays. And took the loss, but Garrett Cole also just gave up seven earned runs in his outing. Now it's so close. Not only do I think that Garrett Cole will squeak it out in the end, but I'm also just curious about what you've seen from Robbie Ray because Robbie Ray has just straight up increased his velocity from last year by like a good margin. He's upped his fastball velocity by over a mile an hour. He's upped his slider velocity by over two miles an hour. That you don't just go automatically from a much better pitcher. So what have you seen from Robbie Ray and his improvements to becoming possibly the AL Cy Young? Yeah, and 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 I would say right now Ray is probably a tiny, tiny bit favorite over in my head over Cole. I'm a Yankee um, and personal bias. Yeah, and, and I don't know. <laughs> and honestly, like I don't blame you. Like to me, Rudy, like like picking against Garrett Cole is just a a, a losing thing in general. Like Garrett Cole is awesome. And he's one of my favorite pitchers to watch because he is a bully on the mound and a professor too. And people don't get the professor part, like how smart that Those dude cerebral. is. Yeah, but he looks like a bully. And he's and off the mound, you can hear him talk about baseball and you can listen all day because he's that smart. Like he is a great, great pitcher and a great talent. And he deserves a freaking Cy Young Award. Like dude is a, yeah. I mean, like, come on, it's Garrett Cole. Like one of the top two pitchers in baseball, generally. Uh, I think it's raised to lose right now, but I, 
wouldn't be surprised like if, if, if Ray has another bad outing and Cole has a great outing, it could flip. Um, Ray, I know he's made some mechanical adjustments. I know he's hit the weight room a little bit more. He looks bigger to me. Does his, uh, his lower half, his pants are real tight. You can yeah. tell his legs have gotten bigger. Um, and he's always pitched with that, that force. Like he is, you know, the grunting, the intensity <laughs> on the bump. Um, and he's just shoves like Cole for someone that has so many different pitches, you know, you can see like he not Cole, not only can blow you away, but he could also just, you know, do a whole bunch of things to you. Ray comes at you with a fastball and slider and there's nothing you're going to do. You know what he's going to, how he's going to attack you. And you're, you're just SOL on it. And I think that like there's a, the, the mechanical adjustments and probably better strength and conditioning has made a difference. And I, I assure you that some of it is mental too, where it's one of those things that everything just clicks eventually and you get this confidence and he's pitching with such confidence right now that uh yeah i mean he's he's tough and if the jays if if they make the playoffs they're gonna be they'd be tough i've also noticed that he's limited the curveball usage and in previous years the curveball has actually been not a good pitch i think yeah in 2020 the batting average against the pitch was over 400 this year it's around 350 the changeup is good i've watched him pitch a ton of times i feel like he should just completely can the curveball i mean the fastball and the slider are so elite and especially when he's sitting 95 now with confidence just go fastball slider change uh, yeah i feel we can just go fastball slider and be yeah, uh, honestly. pretty dominant but but yeah like that's one of those things that pitchers are taught and it depends who your coach is i mean you darvish back in the day was taught to dump all his he has you know 12 different pitches and they're like well why don't you stick to three or four and be really good at them yeah. that's not the way his mind works other pitchers you know, their mind work, they want different tools and stuff. And it ends up that some of their tools suck. Some of their tools aren't as good as other tools and you should use the good tools more. Um, and flipping it, there's a pitcher, Max Scherzer, who has a tool that I don't think he realizes how good it is. And maybe the stats don't necessarily back it up, but his curveball, which is his fifth best pitch, he just started using it a little bit more. Um, to me, just the eye test on it, it's a, it's an elite pitch. Like it is a really good pitch. And if he figures out how to use it, like his thing is Max says it takes him like three years to figure out how to use a pitch. Right. And all the different combos by using it in games and seeing how to attack hitters and stuff. Three years, three years is what he said. To his standard. uh, Yeah. Right. To his his standard. Of course it's probably elite after a year, but it's extra, extra elite after three. Like knowing where he wanted to throw his cutter and where he wanted to start it and which hitters he can attack with and maybe how to go backdoor sometimes with it versus going under or lefty's hands. Uh, so he figured that out and it takes him a while to figure it out. And I think that that's where he is with the curveball. Like he may get better because that curveball is no less of a tool and no less of a weapon than his other pitches, but yet he doesn't trust it as much. He does get K's with it and had his last outing. But don't be surprised if that ends up being a really good pitch for him as, you know, hitters get used to seeing patterns and it's a way to break the pattern. And I know you have a lot going on and uh, plenty on your schedule with now ESPN analyst. I mean, there's just so many things that you, you have done, so many interviews that I, I've really enjoyed. Uh, so we won't keep you too much longer. I just have one last bonus question for you. Most underrated pitcher or at least the pitcher that you feel like you appreciate watching more than uh, maybe the average baseball fan that you think people should start paying attention to more. Lance Lynn is one of, as a pitcher that I underrated for his entire career. Like I wouldn't 
for some reason, I just never, like, I didn't get him. So I did Major League Baseball. So did every yeah. GM. Just throws fastballs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, except different, like, the yeah, difference in like variation of fastball. Right, exactly. And they're, like, the cutter is really a slider and whatever, but but his sinker is ridiculous. The emotion, and he's just one of the more enjoyable pitchers to watch because he will drop an F-bomb an inning basically. <laughs> uh, and he's just like, he pitches with a ton of emotion, a ton of character. He's, he's just one of those guys that I can't take my eyes off him when he pitches and I love it. And it took me his entire career to get the, to get the dude. And maybe he's let more of his personality out now because that whole white Sox team is one of those teams that is, you know, they're they're they've got it going on. And he is the leader of that team. Like on the bump, I think like I mean, it's, he's just a stud. So yeah, like he's, he is the guy that I think is very, very uh, underrated in, in, in my book. Rob, thank you so much for coming on. I mean, I've, I, you are my favorite follow on Twitter. I feel like you just spread the game of baseball in such a positive way. There's not one pitcher who is upset. They are so happy to be on your page. You just spread so much joy to the game and you're wonderful to have on and you're welcome anytime. Thank you. That's great to hear. That's what I try to do, but that, yeah. that's awesome. Just even even the digest hitters. And just, yeah. I, the I hitters. go to your page every single day. <laughs> awesome. If you're, if you're a hitter that's on Pitching Ninja's page, it's like, well, see, that pitch was incredibly disgusting. Yeah, it's not my fault. <laughs> yeah, I think Lindsay Adler called me really a hitting, pay, a hitting account in disguise because I do show like how hard it is to hit. Yeah, it is absolutely. Hard. Absolutely. Well, it's Pitching Ninja on everything. Follow him on TikTok because he's he's got more than enough on Twitter. He's got more. You're you're rolling on YouTube, and I love what you're doing on YouTube. TikTok, you're getting there too. But I know you said you want to get some more followers on TikTok. Yeah, so come on, Pitching follow Ninja me on, on TikTok. TikTok. Amen. Some awesome. of our TikTok followers, go check out Pitching Ninja. Thank you so much, Rob, for coming on. Thank you, guys. Take Thanks, care. Aram sold Pitching Ninja as being one of the best people in baseball. And I think you validated that. The most pleasant, joyful man. He's such a nice dude. We were talking with him before we recorded and after. He was just great the entire time. Obviously, is an encyclopedia when it comes to pitching. And he shared a lot of our same opinions. You know, we're also between Burns and Scherzer for Cy Young. I think we're both in the same boat that Max Scherzer is going to win it. And then the AL, it's coming down to the wire with Robbie Ray and Garrett Cole. I think right now you got to give it to Ray. That's what Pitching Ninja thought. I think that's where we're at, but it's still not over. And that's why the conversation is so interesting. You got like two more starts for each of these. Seriously, it's actually coming down to the wire with every single race. Two more starts for each of these guys, at least Garrett Cole. Right now with Mm. Toronto in the driver's seat for that second wildcard spot, only by half a game, do you hold Robbie Ray with the chance of the regular season going down to the wire for the wildcard game? I just don't think so. Like That's going to be a very interesting dilemma for Charlie Montoyo in Toronto. I mean, right now, you basically have the Red Sox in second place at 88 and 65. You have the Yankees at 86 and 67 and the Toronto Blue Jays at 85 and 67. It's looking increasingly more like the Red Sox because they're on a seven game win streak. They're going to hold it. So it's most likely going to come down to Robbie Ray or Garrett Cole. And do the Yankees find it necessary to pitch Garrett Cole to win 
or the Blue Jays to win to get into that second wild card. So these next few games, especially when they'll be facing each other down the stretch, we'll see. But if you put a gun to my head, I still think is I don't even know gun to your head like uh, Robbie Ray. I think I don't know. I don't know. As as you were just saying that Paul Goldschmidt just hit a bomb to tie the game at five in the seventh. There it is. The Cardinals yep. might win twelve in a row. Cardinals got some voodoo magic going on right now. That's at Milwaukee, and they're just like delaying the inevitable for Milwaukee to take that division because the Cardinals are the best team in baseball ever right now. Like right now, this twelve game stretch is stupidly good. And Tyler O'Neill, Tyler O'Neill is just about to say he's going to finish top ten in MVP this year. He's amazing. He's amazing. Look at his baseball savant page. It's exploding with red. He is fast as hell. Yep. He's a muscle hamster. Strong as hell. And he's a really good defensive outfielder. He's just a good hitter. He's good bat to ball skills. He's just a all good around good. He gets on base. He's, just he's one of those guys. Could he be our Freddie of next year? Where we I, say, you know what? We're a Tyler O'Neill bandwagon. He's going to win the MVP. We are going to get into that in about 10 minutes because I said something episode four about Tyler O'Neill that I am very happy about. But let's start with the American League East while we go through uh, how stupid we looked with win totals in the preseason. We were really bad on the AL East, especially. We were really bad in general, I think. We had yeah, we weren't great. We had some terrible takes, uh, but <laughs> we did also have some great takes and quote from me directly the day before the regular season was I'm on my third glass of Shohei Otani Kool-Aid. Yep. I'm totally cool with that. I'll wear that. It, it was an unbelievable take, but followed with an incorrect take. That's how these things work, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's start with the AL East. We're going to give you what their preseason win total was and what their current record is. And we'll go in order of predicted finish in the preseason. The Yankees were predicted to finish atop the AL East, 95 and a half wins. They are 86 and 67 right now. Uh, I said over, you said over, you had them as the division winner. Why did you say over and why are you kicking yourself? Yeah, I picked the Yankees to go over. This rotation was much deeper than it was. I thought guys like Debbie Garcia, guys like Clark Schmidt, even guys like deeper guys like Nick Nelson, Michael King, they would show up and actually provide a spark in the rotation. All four of those names have done none of that. Yes. But the pitching rotation hasn't exactly been the problem. Did we expect Zach Britton to fall off a cliff? Did we expect Aroldis Chapman to basically kind of fall off a cliff? That we can say no to. That we can say no to. So the bullpen has not been the same. And we know the offense has just not been the same. It's been the story of Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton really kind of bringing this team along. Did anyone expect DJ LeMahieu to play and perform the way he has? Glaber Torres. Gio Urshela has even been a disappointment at the plate this year. Still a good defender. But yeah. we aren't seeing that same offensive production from the guys lower in the lineup. Yeah, I think LeMayhew has been the most underwhelming guy for me personally, because I expect LeMayhew to be like batting title type contender. And that's just not what he's been this year. I said over, but barely because I was banking on the health of Corey Kluber, Jamison Tyone, 
and Giancarlo Stanton. Kluber, not healthy. Stanton, healthy, and that really helps. Everybody else in the lineup sucks, and then I don't know why I thought Jamison Tyone could be a contributing piece. Well, Jamison Tyon has absolutely been a contributing piece. Do not, do not say that. Jamison Tyon has been a staple in this rotation. Okay. I would not say, don't, don't, don't slander Jamison Tyon like that. But in general, if I had asked you at the beginning of the year, would Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton, if they're healthy all year, where do you think this Yankees team is going to go? And you would have said games. very high, 100 yeah. games. But if I also told you that DJ LeMahieu, Glaber Torres, Gio Urshela, a lot of these guys will regress much farther below the mean, you probably would have said no way they will. Maybe they'll regress a little bit, not all the way down here, but that's just where we're at. Jamison Tyon has a 4-4 ERA, a 4-5 FIP, and a whip at 1-2-2. That's a very average piece. I guess I was yeah. expecting him to be more. But he was also much better. And then recently he has had some tough starts. Yeah. Toronto, I said soaring past the over. You said barely hitting the over of 86. They're currently at 85 wins. I had them as the division winner. Uh, they will not win the division. The Rays will win the division. Um, but I, I said that Toronto can outscore people. And I also said that Marcus Semyon was the biggest pickup of the offseason. You did I'm say very, that. I'm very happy saying that. I wish the pitching was a little bit better to win that division. But that lineup, man, I mean, even with Kevin Biggio being out, I'm so happy with the lineup. I mean, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Marcus Semyon both have 40-plus home runs. Marcus Semyon has 40-plus home runs. Bo Bichette has 26 home runs. George Springer hasn't even played that much this season, and yet the offense is easily top three, top four in the league. Yeah, And the pitching is really shaping up. I mean, we've talked about the Robbie Ray and how he might be a Scion candidate. How about Alec Manoa has really come onto the scene? And then you got Hanjin Ryu and, you know. Tampa. We screwed up. Yeah. We both said under 86 wins. They're going to win 100 games. You said no Snell is going to really hurt them. I was just so in on Snell. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I said, even if Glass now is an ace, Yarbrough's the two, and the offense is not good enough to get past that. The offense is the best offense in baseball. I, they were leading baseball in runs scored at least a week ago. That's kind of crazy, nuts. right? That's and nuts. I was, I was watching the game yesterday, and I was even speaking to my roommate. I was like, the best offense, or at least a top three. I mean, they're an incredible offense. Have G-Man Choi and Yandy Diaz as their 3-4, which is incredible. It's, but it's not about the 3-4 that we're used to. It's about one through nine, all of them being above average. They're so deep. I mean, God, Austin Meadows hit a home run yesterday. It's just like they got guy after guy after guy, and they come at you in so many different ways. They can run. They can hit for power. They can hit for average. They, they build momentum. Did you know that the Rays have a 390 batting average this year with the bases loaded? No way. It's just like a random 390. No way. Three freaking 90. It might be 389 because I was watching the game yesterday, and, oh, no, it would be 390 because Yandy Diaz with the bases loaded hit a – Hit a sack fly. 390. That just yeah. goes to show with runners in scoring position that this lineup is 
is a force to be reckoned with when we go into the playoffs. Tampa's going to win 100 games. Boston is going to win north of 90 games, maybe win 95 games. And we said that they were going to go under 79 and a half. I said 73 wins. You said 76. And we cited the pitching staff not being good at the beginning of the year. We couldn't have realistically expected Nick Pavetta and Garrett Richards and Tanner Houck and Garrett Whitlock to be who they were. Eduardo Rodriguez. I made a joke. I said, Red Sox, it is so garbage that you're starting Nate Eovaldi as your opening day guy. And look how much that's come to bite me in the ass. Nate Eovaldi will finish top 10 in Cy Young this year. It's been phenomenal. Did anyone expect Nate Eovaldi to finish top 10 in Cy Young? Maybe if you are the biggest diehard Eovaldi fan in Boston, you did. But I think the rest of the country, admittedly, is, is... it's okay that we didn't think that Nate Evaldi would be this good. And as you said, the rest of the rotation. Yeah. The Orioles is tough. (laughs) Like it was at 64 and a half. We both said they're not in a hundred loss team. They've lost 104 games and counting. I mean, they suck. And we both said the over because it was a really low number. And it turns out it was about 10 wins higher than it should have been. I told you, remember what I said at the beginning of the year, I said the past two years running, I always put a big bet on the under in the Orioles win total. And I thought, you know what? This year, it can't happen every single year. I can't be right on it every single time. I should have just done it again. I should have just trusted my gut and realized the Orioles in this division will not approach 62 wins that would get you, or 63 wins that would get you above the 100 loss threshold. They just are a 100 loss team. I think you were a year early. I think next year when Possibly. they break camp with Mount Castle off of a really good rookie season and Adley and G-Rod with them on opening day, like they're probably hitting the over in the win total then. We're saying that now, and then next year at this time, we'll be having the same conversation. Maybe we were just a year early on the Baltimore Orioles. God, God it hurts. But under it all, Cedric yeah. Mullins is turning in one of the best seasons in the American League, and he's going to be a 30 30 guy who hits 300 unfreaking believable Cedric Mullins goddamn beast good at everything so happy for that man he's a bomb away from 30 right yep bomb away one more and he's got like 10 or 11 games left previous episode I want to say it was like July late July early August we went over the people since 2000 that have hit 300 with a 30-30 season and It's not a big list whatsoever. It's a very short list. AL Central, White Sox were at 90 and a half. They are 86 and 66. They will very likely eclipse 90 and a half wins. They need five wins to get there. They'll probably do it. You said ever so slightly over, and they're the division winner. I, a noted White Sox fan, said slightly under, and they won't win the division. But I was correct on one thing, saying that Dallas Keuchel is going to punch below his weight. He sucks. I like how you pulled out of all of that because it was, frankly, you make fun of me all the time. I'm going to make fun of you. Probably your worst take ever that you thought the Twins would make the World Series. I just don't think that was that bad of a take. On March I think 30th. it's your worst take you've ever had on this show. Which, and your classifying is not that bad of a take, so there you go. You haven't made that many bad takes. That's fine. I will take that while you wear Danny Duffy as an emerging ace. He's still emerging. That's the point about emerging. You're always emerging. Peter? No, he's not. (laughs) 
obviously a little sensitive subject on that. But what I did get right, I got over 90 and a half. I think they're going to get it. They just won their 87th game about 10 minutes ago. They just clinched the division. So we're right there. 90 and a half. I think they will get there. I'm guessing they're going to finish around 92-ish, 93-ish wins. Yeah. Uh, maybe even more than that. They have about 10 to 12 games left. If they win, you know, half their games, they'll be around 93, 94 wins. I think that's probably where they'll end up. And they'll win the division yeah. over your twins. <laughs> and it's your favorite team that is going to freaking win the division. Yeah, I know. The twins are 67 and 85. Their over-under was at 88 and a half. You took the under saying that the rotation was not as good as I thought it was. I took the over saying that Kenta Maeda could be a legit one. And Andrelton Simmons has a ton left in the tank. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. I, I just, you look at the rotation and I was like, this isn't a team that can win 88 and a half games. But also you look at the twins and they've done far better with just as bad of a roster. Yeah. The Twins are notorious for winning a bunch of regular season games, going to the playoffs, and getting absolutely washed. I thought this was fine of the year. How many times can they do that in a row without a down year? That's where I was at. You thought the other way. Yeah, I thought the other way. They keep getting washed in the postseason. I think this is the time that they take that step up and go. Uh, the Indians, we kind of called their fraudulent efforts right away. Mm. They were at 81 and a half, so 500 or below. They're going to finish below 500. They are now four games under with one more to play against the White Sox tonight. And they don't have Shane Bieber getting them through the final home stretch. We both said under, I said, the offense can't help that rotation. And I was right. They've been no hit three times or just twice. Yep. Three times. They, three times. And not only that, but I think we were both thinking that after they traded away Lindor, that possibly at the deadline, they were going to be big sellers. Yeah. Kind of what happened to the Nationals, happened to the Cubs, one of those type of teams. So that's why we were pretty pretty on the under on that, on that bet, but they've actually done pretty well. Jose Ramirez continues to prove why he's one of the best hitters in baseball. The pitching has kind of come through. Cal Quantrill needs some freaking love, bro. Yeah, He's dude. phenomenal. He has an ERA under three all year. Yeah. He has been... You remember when I said, I think it will be Bieber to Plesak? It's looking like it's going to be Bieber to Quantrill. Also, you add in Aaron Savali. Tristan McKenzie has made obvious improvements. Yeah, this Their young core is shaping up. And you've got a stud closer in Class A now. And James Karinchak is pitching to a four ERA in AAA. So things are looking up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what his AAA ERA is. I don't care, to be totally honest. Uh, God damn it, James Karinchak. Damn it. I told you the best reliever in baseball. Damn <laughs> that's it. my worst take. That's my yeah. worst take. Uh, we, <laughs> we but that's not your worst take because, I mean, how are we supposed to know that it was so reliant on spider tech? How are we supposed I, to know? The stuff, like how high the RPM was on the fastball and how you should have known it couldn't have been true. Curveball. Right. Like it that's what I think about Class A. I'm like, how can you throw a 103 mile an hour cutter? How? Yeah, but like spider tech or no spider tech, like you can throw 103. Like you can't get a 5,000 RPM pitch without spider tech. Like I think that's clear now. Yeah. Um, but we didn't know that. We were playing dumb. The Royals, we said the over 73 and a half was the best bet in the American League. They are 69 and 83. They could actually hit the over. It might happen on the last day of the season. 
but they're not playing like a 77 win team like we thought they were. I, th- I just thought they were better. I thought maybe we were also a year early on their pitching. Guys like Daniel Lynch, Chris Bubich, they just haven't performed to the level I thought we they would. Yeah. Um, they've been a bit all over the place, but there's they turn in starts where you say, that's it. That's yeah. the guy we're looking at. But then they come right back around and they allow eight runs in two innings. So I think we're a year early. I think the Royals will be very good next year. And I mean, Salvador Perez is turning in one of the best offensive seasons from a catcher ever. Yeah, crazy. Uh, we were split on the Tigers at 68 and a half. I won this one. You said under 68 and a half. Tigers are at 74 and 78. They look really solid. And they I do. took the over. I lucked out with this. I think that there were some contributing pieces that I wasn't necessarily expecting to contribute, especially on the offensive side. Uh, but they are. So I'll take it. Yeah. Who are some of those players that you didn't expect to really make a jump? Like I'm looking at a guy like Candelario, John yeah. Candelario, third baseman has been good. Akil Badu has been excellent too. Right. Um, I'm curious, like besides any of those, were there, was there a guy that you saw on Detroit's team that made a jump that you were like, whoa, where did that come from? Robbie Grossman. Yeah. Uh, Jamer Candelario is number one on that list. I had no idea who Akil Badu was before this year. Um, but Jonathan Scope has been fine. Eric Haas has been fine, but Robbie Grossman is the guy that, you know, I was looking at and I was like, no way. Like, what is Robbie Grossman? And it turns out that he's actually a pretty solid baseball player for the Tigers. What, we just talked about their offense, but let's talk about this pitching in Casey Mize, Tarek Skubal, Matt Manning. They got dudes. And then we aren't even talking about the fact that Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green are on the way. They're there next year. Next year. This, this could be a team that makes some noise next year. AL West, the Astros were set at 87 and a half. They are 30 games over 500 right now at 91 and 61 and climbing. We both said the under. I said that George Springer drove the bus for them offensively, and that's just not true. And now they're the best offensive baseball. Yep. Unfortunately. Ouch. Did we come from slight bias? Just like not liking them and not wanting them to win? Probably. Yeah. Probably. I think that's, a, I think that's accurate. They really have just showed up. And, but do, do you think, like, let's say the Astros face the White Sox in the playoffs. Let's say the Astros face the Rays. Where do you have them? Do you have them as, like, the best team in the American League? No. Or do you have them maybe getting an early exit? I Early exit. I think they're an ALDS team. I just don't love their pitching. I mean, I do like their pitching. McCullers, Framber Valdez, Luis Garcia – Grinky, they got arms. I'm just nervous that we're undervaluing them and they're going to make the World Series again. That's what I'm nervous about. I have just a deep, dark feeling in the pit of my stomach that the Astros are going to face the Dodgers. I'm not predicting it. I don't want it to happen. I have a deep, dark feeling it's going to happen. And they did this with an unhealthy Bregman for the majority of the year. Yep. And in my opinion, no bullpen. Adding Graveman was huge. Huge. Kendall Graveman from the Mariners. You put him with Presley. That bullpen is not as bad as you think. It's, it's like weirdly kind of good now. Right? I thought it was bad. They're well-rounded. They're just good again. Damn it. Oakland was set at 86 and a half. They are 82 and 70. They could hit the over. It's not looking likely with the way that they're playing. They just got swept by Seattle. You had the over and Oakland as the division winner. That's not going to happen. I had the under 
because I doubted their pitching. Their pitching has been good. We love Sean Manaya. Shout out Chris Bassett, who had a hell of a year before the injury, and now he's back. How phenomenal is that? Uh, I fully doubted their starting pitching. I was proved wrong on that. You thought they were going to win the division. You were proved wrong on that. Facts. I Well, first, shouts out Chris Bassett. Just made a start today. He's currently shoving against the Mariners. Good. The, the advancement of modern medicine, right? I mean, the fact that you can get hit in the face with a line drive. At 100 miles an hour. At 100 miles an hour on August 17th. And today is September 23rd, and he's back. Pitching well, not yeah. getting blown up. Currently pitching well against the Mariners. All those guys are great getting Starling Marte at the deadline. I do think that over will hit, but they will not win the division. And I had them winning the division. Uh, I had the Angels winning the division. Ah. 80, yeah. Ah. 83 and a half was their projected win total. They're at 72 and 80. I said I was on my third glass of Shohei Otani Kool-Aid. Happy with that. Mike Trout was hurt. That could have been expected, I guess. Mike Trout is officially, stamp on it, injury prone. Yeah. Aaron Judge has played more games since he, since he debuted in 2017. He has now played 50, at least 50 more games than Mike Trout since that time period. And Aaron Judge always gets the injury prone bug. Mike Trout's injury prone. At least, for, at least moving forward, you have to be conscious of his injuries. Yeah, totally. You had also, the over as well. Did you expect Anthony Rendon to be injured the entire year? No. There you go. So, Damn injuries. Seattle, you were on the over 72 and a half. Nice pick, Pete. I was on the under. I like Seattle. I We, we talk about how young and talented they were. I was on the over of a lot of these teams, besides the Tigers missed on that one, but a lot of these teams that maybe – Might have been a year away, but I thought, you know what? They can make the jump, and the Mariners have absolutely made the jump. You know, the Mariners are the most – if you bet every single time on the Mariners this year, they are the most profitable team to bet on in all of Major League Baseball, the Seattle freaking Mariners. They're always underdogs, and they just keep winning. Yeah. And it's funny, they're winning, but their top prospect, Jared Kelnick, has actually been not too good at all. Yeah, he's he's been getting better as of late, but they're 14 games over 500 for a team that was projected to be nine games under 500. That makes a lot of sense that they would be the most profitable. Uh, the Rangers, we both took the way under 66 and a half. They're 11 games under 66 and a half right now. They're 55 and 97. They suck. I think that's all we got to say about them. Shouts out Adolis Garcia is in the rookie of the year. You know, um, Glenn Otto, the guy the Yankees got. Currently has a 9-8 ERA. Thought I'd add that in there. NL East, the Braves were favored to win. We both picked the Braves to win the division. They will likely do that. However, they were slotted at 91.5. We both picked the over 91.5. They're 80 and 70 coming into play on Tuesday. So they got 12 games left. They got to pull off a Cardinals. 92 lose on that i think we slightly missed on the win total but we were both correct that we thought that the braves would end up winning the division and you got to give it they're going to finish around 88 89 wins that's without acuna with acuna who's a six seven eight war guy they're in the 90s and they and they break this 
So without Acuna going down, I think we get this right. And the fact that they're still going to win the division without him is a testament to not only the Braves front office, but just that team sticking together and really believing that even without our best player, we can still win the division and make some noise. And they might make history. There's never been an infield where each individual player, the third baseman, the shortstop, the second baseman, the first baseman, have all each hit 30 home runs. Currently, Freddie Freeman is at 31. Ozzie Albies is at 30. Dansby's at 26. And, and Austin Riley is at 31. They have 12 games left. I don't think they're going to get it. But that is a testament to the Braves infield and how amazing it's been. We're counting on you, Dansby Swanson. We're counting on you, Dansby. Pick up the pace. Pick up the pace. I don't think a lot of people were expecting the Mets to be six games under 500 right now. They were projected at 90 and a half wins. We both took the under and we're very happy about that. We did both take the under, but each of us did not expect Jacob DeGrom to get injured. The auto win for the New York Mets. Sorry, New York. Sorry, little brother. Washington is 26 games under 500 right now. They were projected at 84 and a half. We called this the lock of the National League that they go over 84 and a half. And they're going to finish 20 games below that total. We both suck, but you suck a little bit more because you said, don't forget about Patrick Corbin, who's really, really good. Swing and a miss. <laughs> I, uh, I'll eat that. I said it. I believed it. I thought Patrick Corbin would come back and he'd pitch well. He has done not just the opposite, the complete opposite of pitching well. He's been terrible. He's got an ERA over six all season. Strasburg went down. I thought everyone was kind of sleeping on this Nationals team, a national team, Nationals team that had just won in 2019, had a tough 2020 from COVID. But I thought they're going to come back. Juan Soto is going to win the MVP, possibly. They sold at the deadline, and they now look like a shell of themselves. Strasburg has barely pitched. Corbin's been terrible. And Scherzer is now on the Los Angeles Dodgers. Yep. The Phillies <laughs> at 81 and a half are at 78 and 74. They're going to get to 81 and a half or north. You said they would get to 82 wins. I said they would get to 80 wins. You're going to win the prices right. You had the over. I had the under. We thought this was one of the best lines set at 81 and a half. And the Phillies are outperforming, I think, what everybody thought they were going to do. Not crazy outperforming though they'll probably finish around 83 84 wins ever so, like so a, slightly ever so slightly and the Phillies have had a good season overall I'm sure if you asked Philly fans they would say we killed it and then we blew it and they kind of did but what they can take back from this season is that Zach Wheeler is an absolute ace and he's here to stay Bryce Harper should win the NL MVP that's what they got going for him right now. That's what they got. And Gene Segura is a hitting machine. He just hits. He just but hits. Reese Hoskins going down definitely doesn't help. Yeah. I I was expecting the emergence of Alec Bohm. That didn't really happen, which yeah. I'm still shocked about. Me too. He's such a goddamn good hitter. He was picked third overall, right? Wasn't he picked third overall? Yeah. I thought he had a chance to win a batting title. I really do. I mean, I still do. I don't think it's over, but I'm not giving up on the guy. He has two good at bat skills. 
It's just the defense. He really cannot field his position at their base. His build, his swing, his tools at the plate felt like Chris Bryant light. You know what? I don't hate that. Chris Bryant light? Uh, uh, I don't know. I see what you're talking about. The plate, maybe the power. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, in terms of fielding at third base, I think it's pretty spot on. The Marlins were at 72 and a half. This is going to come down to the final day of the season. They are at 64 and 88. If they finish above 500, these final 11 games, I think they get there, right? And if they finish below, then they don't get there. You and I were both on the over, so we're rooting for a strong Marlins finish as Arum is as well. So Something that's been maybe not underrated, but if you're not paying attention to the Miami Marlins as much, their starting rotation, they go so deep. Sandy Alcantara is turning into a bona fide ace. Trevor Rogers in his rookie year has been phenomenal. Then you have Pablo Lopez, who's a really solid three. Guys like Edward Cabrera, Eliezer Hernandez. They have a lot of guys. And then they still have Max Meyer coming up the pipeline. They have Sixto Sanchez. We'll see with him. They have a lot, a lot of young pitching. It's just they got to figure out the offense. But, you know, Jazz had a good rookie year. Jesus Sanchez looks like he can swing the bat a little bit. They have potential to be better in the future. I just think it's going to. It's going to be a couple, maybe a year or two of rebuild. And then I think we'll start to see the Marlins come back into the NL East race. I think they're trending really well. I agree. Maybe not really well, but well. I think they're trending really well. That rotation is the best young rotation in baseball. Agreed. It's at least it's at least in the competition for that. Yeah. NL Central, we both picked the Cardinals to win the division and north of 86 and a half wins. If they continue this, they're going to get there easy. They're 82 and 69 entering play. As I watch right now, it's the bottom of the eighth inning, and they have a two-run lead over the Brewers, seven to five. So the Cardinals will probably hit this total because they're playing so well. So we're both going to get the over. They're not going to win the division. Milwaukee is. But you and I cited different people to be the thing that pushes them over the top. You said Dylan Carlson was going to be that guy. I said the duo of Tyler O'Neill and Tommy Edmond were going to be the guys. And I think both of us were kind of right there. I agree. Tommy Edmond and Tyler O'Neill have been better than Dylan Carlson this year. Carlson's I, been I, good. Carlson's been good. I didn't ex- I wouldn't say I expected Carlson to be like the leader of that team, especially a team with Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, but I expected him to have an I really thought he was going to have an incredible rookie season and be like a main cog exactly like Tyler O'Neill and Tommy Edmond. And I think he's provided 80% of what Tommy Edmond and Tyler O'Neill have done. Tyler O'Neill is one of the best players in the NL central is he's one of the best players on the Cardinals. Yeah. The Brewers 83 and a half. They have blown by that. They're 30 games over 500 entering play on Tuesday. You had the over citing that Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns were studs. You also said that Christian Yelich and Keston Hira are great. We'll give you a pass on that because you got Burns and Woodruff. I said under. I said they were a 500 team. I'll wear that right on the chest. We also didn't talk about Freddie Peralta once because it took seeing him for the first time in 2021 to say, oh, he passes the eye test with flying colors. Let's buy into this guy. 
we fell in love with a man named Freddie Peralta. And I'm still in love with the man. I I'm think he's going to shove in the playoffs. Stage show everyone why he's an absolute stud. I got Corbin Burns plus 4,000 to win AL Cy Young. I saw what I saw with Brandon Woodruff. He, the, this rotation is phenomenal. And then you look at the bullpen with Devin Williams, Josh Hader. I just don't want to see this pitching. And I, I know I was looking at the odds on points bet. They're plus 850 to win the World Series. That is not too bad of a bet. No, that's good value. That's really good value. Reds at 81 and a half. They will get there. They're at 78 and 74 with 12 to go. So they got to go four and eight to get there. You said the under, I said the over, but let's come to terms with what you said about the Reds. I said that the Reds wouldn't hit enough. And my thinking there was, did we expect Joey Votto to do what he did? I knew Jesse Winker would be good. Did we expect him to be MVP caliber? Did we expect Nick Castellanos to be MVP caliber? Did we expect guys like Tyler Naquin to really come onto the scene? Jonathan India, we had him as a rookie. You had him as a rookie of the year candidate. But did we expect him to really, you know, hit 280 and be one of the best second basemen in the National League? I don't think that we did. So I don't think that this was such a bad take. Hindsight's 2020, obviously. I think I made good analysis, and that's just baseball with at least the Reds. That's but the title the of our Re- podcast. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The Reds. And then, I mean, I was somewhat right. I said they wouldn't be able to hit enough to make it because you had them finishing second. Yeah. Uh, they will not finish second. What my thought with the Reds were was that, okay. Castellanos and Winker are going to be lower than what they are this year. India was going to be good, not great. Turns out India is great. I thought Eugenio Suarez was going to be good. I thought Aristides Aquino was going to be good. I thought Shogo Akiyama could be a contributor. I thought Nick Senzel was going to be a contributor. None of those things happened. So they had lovely surprises and they had drastic outperformances from Vado Castellanos, Winker, India but they had drastic failures of seasons from Suarez, Aquino, Akiyama, keep going. I really like the, uh, the rotation, I think, came together pretty nicely this year. I think better than probably they expected. Luis Castillo, terrible front half, amazing back half, turns out to be a good season. Sonny Gray put together a pretty good season. Tyler Malley put together a pretty good season. Yeah. Wade Miley has yeah. been pretty phenomenal. Their pitching was the surprise to me, even though I was the one to say that they wouldn't hit enough to get there. And what I meant was the playoffs. I knew they'd be a good offense. I didn't think they'd be this good of an offense. What has killed the Reds when we're moving down is that they just could never hit a left-handed pitcher. They never could. They never figured it out. I thought, okay, they get shut down by Dylan Peters once in the end of August, early September. Then they get to face him again. Do you think they'll beat up on him? I thought so. They didn't. They got shut down again by Dylan Peters. They're just getting shut down continuously by bad lefties. And those lead to losses. And now you're out of the playoff hunt. Yep. Cubs were set at 79. You had the under. Cubs are at 67 wins right now. I had the over saying that Jock Peterson might hit 45 bombs. Jock Peterson did not hit 45 bombs. Slightly ambitious. But Jock Peterson was putting on a show in spring training. Yeah, We got excited for that. 
the Pirates might hit their over. It was at 59 and a half. Yeah. They're at 57 and 94. So they suck. Like they suck. But we both had the under 59 and a half, and we might be eating our words. The Pirates. Brian Reynolds has really come onto the scene and, and be excellent. And the Pirates kind of not fleeced the Padres, but sold high on Adam Frazier. Mm-hmm. And he was really excellent for them. But I just, I can't wrap my mind around who is going to pitch on the Pirates for the foreseeable future. God. Who's the guy you keep? What, Mitch Keller? Nobody that's up there. Like, when you have a rotation where you're not building around a single one out of the five, you got problems there. But the Pirates, you know, they do have a good farm, and they're going to keep drafting high. So it's just going to be a few years before you see the Pirates. But Brian Hayes has a bright future ahead of him. Right, an incredibly bright future. And Brian Reynolds is good. And you've got Henry Davis coming through. You've got some pitching prospects. I think Quinn Priester can be a one. He's oh, really? really good. Yeah, I yeah, think he wow. can be a one. I think he can be a top flight two or a one. I think he's got that type of stuff. Um, conservatively, I'll say he can be a good two. But I think he can be the Pirates ace, especially because they don't have a four in that rotation right now. They're just running out five fives. Uh, let's wrap up with the National League West. You and I both took the over 102 and a half. The Dodgers are 97 and 53. So they can get there and they likely will get to over 102 and a half. We both had them as the division winner. That probably won't happen. You and I thought they were going to fly by 102 and a half. They're going to squeak by 102 and a half. It's still not out of the question, right? I mean, when we look, when we look at the division in the NL West right now, they are just two games back of the San Francisco Giants. It's not completely out of the question that the Dodgers can not rebound because they've been amazing all year, but rebound in the sense of get over the hump that is the San Francisco Giants. I don't think that it will, but I don't think it's out of the question. I think it's going to be a dogfight till the end. Both of these will face Adam Wainwright and St. Louis in that wildcard game. I know that for a fact. If you had to bet money line on Dodgers Cardinals, Scherzer versus Wainwright, who are you going with? Dodgers. And it really boils down to home field advantage. Me too. If this, yeah. If this was in St. Louis, I, I wouldn't know who to bet on. Okay. How about Giants Cardinals at Oracle Gosman, who's not pitching too hot right now versus Wainwright? I made, a, I made a bet with myself. This is a personal thing. I'm never betting against the Giants ever again, no matter what. So that's a personal thing. You put a gun in my head, take me out of my gambling sense. I would think long and hard about the Cardinals because they wouldn't be favored in that game, but they could definitely do it. And I'm saying that, no. And then my other part of my brain is like, hey, idiot, you've seen the Giants. They're not going to lose to anybody. Right, they're going to win. No, I'm in, I'm in a conundrum with myself. Yeah, I hear you. Padres, you said under 94 and a half. Fired up about that pick. Congrats. Fired up. Fired up. They're lower. They are. And I did get something wrong about the Padres, and I said Blake Snell would be that dude, and he just hasn't. He's been good lately, but I got the Padres right. Fired up about that because I think everyone and their mother thought they were going over. Yeah. I abstained, so I didn't pick. Uh, we went rapid fire through these three. We both had the under on the D-backs and Rockies. 
Diamondbacks over under was 74 and a half. They are 48 and 104. <laughs> we both I mean, got the under. Thumbs up for us. Rockies, we said under 63 and a half. They're over 71 and 80. So we were both wrong with the Rockies. And then Can I the- say something about the Rockies real quick? Because yeah, for sure. The Rockies are so bad on the road, but a top three team at home. They're amazing. Def- their stadium, I think it got more Coorsy because there's such a difference now. I wonder if with climate change, it's making Coors more bouncy. I mean, I was at the Home Run Derby. Things were flying out of there. Man. Was I telling you on, on the Tuesday episode about Laramie, Wyoming? You mentioned it. You weren't telling me about it, though. Ball State football lost to Wyoming at Wyoming on Saturday. Laramie, Wyoming is at 7220, 7,220 feet above sea level. It is the highest football oh. stadium in the FBS. Altitude. Yeah. So, you know, everybody was saying, oh, the altitude thing's a sham. Altitude is not a sham. I mean, possible flying kicks were flying i was standing on the sideline and about five minutes into the second quarter i was feeling my lips i was like oh my god my lips are more chapped than they've ever been and then i was talking to other people on the sideline like i turned to the ad who was on the sideline and i was like are your lips crazy chapped and she was like yes it's it's the lack of moisture it's like we're playing on a mountain it's a third of a mile higher in altitude than denver but altitude is a real thing. And I just don't understand how the altitude works for the Rockies, but doesn't work for opponents at course. Their pitchers are better at home. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. And if we're talking altitude, go golf in Denver and tell me that altitude doesn't, doesn't play a factor. Oh, I mean, I talk to my friends all the time. They're like, my, my drive goes from 260 to 290. I have to play a club down like you, you play at some of these courses that are really high up there in Denver and you'll see complete differences in where the ball is going after you hit it. That's cool. Let's wrap up with the giants. Yes. Because we both, we owe a fat apology. God, I, we both said under 73 and a half. They're going to win their a hundredth game. If not before this comes out, then tonight. The giants have been, the single best team in all of baseball this year. They really have. They're going to win. Like you said, they're a hundredth game. They're a top five, top 10 offensive team. Did you expect the Giants to actually be second in baseball in home runs this year? The no. San Francisco Giants in the national. No, we wouldn't in a park that doesn't necessarily, it's not a hitters park either. I mean, it's like a triples park. It's not a home run hitting facility. And yet they're top five offense. Their starting rotation has been phenomenal this year. Their bullpen, Jake McGee, Taylor, Tyler Rogers, Dominic Leone, all of them. They're the fielding defensively. They're eighth in defensive run saved, third in outs above average. They've been phenomenal this year across the board. Got to give a lot of credit to Gabe Kapler, especially this Giants front office. We were, we were wrong on the Giants, but I promise you, if you're a Giants fan and you're listening to this, I will never bet against your team ever again, no That's matter so what. Sweet. That's until so... next season. Yeah, until next yeah. season. <laughs>
That's such a sweet promise. Look at you. (laughs) I, I think they appreciated it. All right. We did fine. We didn't do great. We didn't do terrible. We did fine, but we look. I would say we're, yeah. we were both around 50-ish percent, if we're being generous. I'd say so. I'd say so. Um, we look forward to talking to you through the postseason push. It's going to be yes. really exciting. We got another good weekend of baseball coming up this weekend. And then we get into the home stretch. And I'm excited to share it with you, Pete. Postseason baseball for the Just Baseball Show. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be fire. I'm excited. And there are a couple series this weekend. Yankees play the Red Sox in Fenway. Um, I'm also looking at a very important Astros A's series. The Mets go and play the Brewers. The Braves are playing the Padres. Blue Jays are facing the Twins. There's a lot of interesting series coming up, and I'm excited to see how that rest of the season lands, and I'm so excited to talk about it with you for the rest of the postseason. And we're not... We're not stopping after October. No, hell no. No shot. November, December. It's a year-round baseball podcast. Train keeps moving. Uh, I have my eyes on the Rangers going to Camden Yards this weekend. Rangers, <laughs> Orioles. That's that's the series that I want to watch. <laughs> Was that deadpan enough? I wonder if either of these teams is, is going to win 60 games. I mean, Rangers- the Orioles aren't. Are the, the Rangers, Rangers win gonna, 60 games? Are the Texas Rangers going to bring nine players to Baltimore? Why would they? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I played a high school team my senior year that had eight kids until 30 minutes after scheduled first pitch. Then the ninth kid hopped in right field with AirPods in. Actually, did you guys <laughs> win the game? Hopefully. Yes, I hit. Okay, good. I hit. I yeah, there we go. Two. Yeah, I went to baby. Two. No big deal. Um, all right. He's at Peter Apple 23. I'm at Jack underscore McMullen 11 on Twitter, at just BB Media on Twitter, at just baseball fans on TikTok and Instagram. We're on YouTube at the Just Baseball Show. Make sure to like and subscribe there. We are on Twitch, twitch.tv slash just baseball fans. We also have a Discord. Find us there at just baseball uh, shop merch shopify just baseball also the just baseball collection at breaking t go to breaking t.com that's b-r-e-a-k-i-n-g.com or b-r-e-a-k-i-n-g-t the letter t.com slash just baseball and shop the just baseball collection what else can i possibly plug right now it's thursday september 23rd at 5 33 p.m eastern And you got it 100% correct for the first time in the history of the Just Baseball Show. I'm going to go take a nap. My brain hurts. Thank you, everybody.